0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace. Offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started.
0: What's up, guys? Working class on Deercast. Thanks for joining us. If you're watching on the video side, it looks like I wear the same clothes every single week. And I do shower, for the record. And uh, it's hoodie season, right, Travis? I just wear this as a jacket.
1: Exactly. I mean, once a week, a shower is necessary. So
0: (laughs) Once a week, that's all we get. What's up, dude? Travis from Buckstorm is joining me this week. How you been, buddy? Good, man. How you been? Busy, busy. Good. I know you guys have been
1: busy. Yeah, it's been a busy. This is the first day that I've actually been like home getting caught up on stuff uh, in probably like four months.
0: I lose track of you guys on your socials because you guys are constantly shooting so many animals on so many different hunts that when you post something, I'm like, I'm not sure if that's like happened like today Or if it's like a, another, like a reshare post from another season, like you guys are just hard to keep track of.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We usually just repost the stuff during the off season. So most of it's fresh, but I don't know. It's been, we've had a good run last few years for sure. It's been fun. And you know, with the guiding deal that we're doing now too, that naturally adds more uh, content, if you will, but it's just a, it's a blast man. That's that's what it's yeah. all about really. So
0: Well, I think a lot of the de- normal regular WCB listeners are familiar with what Buckstorm is and you and Jeremy and, and the rest of your crew and what you guys do, but uh for people who are new since the last time we recorded with you or did anything with you guys, maybe just give them a quick uh catch up on who you guys are, what you do and then then we can start talking whitetails
1: Yeah. Yeah, so um my name is Travis, of course. Jeremy he's not here today, but uh Jeremy and I, and Austin, uh, us three, we do Buckstorm, and we have a YouTube-based hunting show, essentially, uh, that airs every week uh, throughout the year, sometimes multiple episodes a week. Uh, That's kind of our main platform. We also uh, guide special draw limited, uh, mostly limited hunts that are, a lot of them are resident-specific to South Dakota, so like elk hunts uh special draw deer hunts occasionally but typically elk bighorn sheep mountain goat those kind of hunts mm-hmm. and then we film it too uh so it's kind of a two-edged sword it's good for us because we get that content but more importantly we get to put a video together for somebody that hunted with us so they have that memory and they can relive that relive that once in a lifetime uh hunt through a video yeah, which most of them think is super cool. So it's 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 just kind of the perfect deal, and we don't take it too serious. The camera just kind of along and we just put it together. We're not like, hey, go back and rewalk here and rewalk there. I mean, you've hunted with us. So you kind of know yeah. the camera just tags along, and uh, we've been after for a while now, and that's that's pretty much it
0: so yeah no i like it and that's why that's like my biggest plug for you guys it's like if you want to watch what it's like to hunt in an area that you guys are in and just really see how the hunt is your guys' videos are the perfect ones to watch because you're not doctoring up certain things to make it look a certain way like the way it looks is how it looks on right, your videos exactly. like, you know what i mean it's like oh i wonder what it's like to hunt deer in south dakota well you watch your guys' videos that's what it's like to hunt deer in south dakota whether it's white tails or mule deer and you know we've talked with you guys ab- about a lot of the animals you guys hunt but on this episode I wanted to talk more specifically about the mountain whitetail and because you know here in the midwest you know there's n- there's terrain right but it's not like the terrain that you guys get or I would say is it fair to say that that steeper terrain kind of starts where you guys are in South Dakota
1: Yeah, we're right on the edge. I mean, there's a few other areas like in northwest South Dakota that are similar and smaller scale, but it definitely goes from like flat prairie plains to uh, Black Hills, which is basically a small mountain range. Um, Elevation's around 7,000 feet. It's kind of where it tops out. But for Mm -hmm. around here, you go from 3,000 to 7,000, about 4,000 foot elevation gain. So it would be kind of comparable to like a, you know, like a mountain town that went from 6,000 to 10,000 feet or something like that. Just kind of a different train, deep snow in the winter, uh, sometimes brutal winters, but overall fairly nice weather, like on the foothills, kind of like Denver, where the mountains will get all the snow and Denver's warm. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of what we get on the edge of the hills but you get up into the hills where we hunt all the time it's a whole different world up there and right everything's kind of out the window
0: <laughs> so when it comes to like whitetails in that hilly mountainous little higher elevation i mean what what because you've hunted the eastern part of the state you've hunted kansas you've hunted you know midwestern whitetails you know more i mean you guys technically are the midwest i don't consider south dakota yeah
1: or yeah. the the west midwest or something like that yeah
0: yeah it's like a, it's like the transition zone but you've hunted midwestern whitetails and you've hunted whitetails where you're at what's the big difference like if someone was like give me the main main difference in the two like subspecies of whitetail what would it be
1: well there's a lot of them really but the behavior would be one uh body size and genetics would be two of course because naturally they're living in the mountain terrain they don't have as good a food they don't have uh corn they don't have these big food plots and they just they just have to survive basically so i would like basically i think the best way to describe it would be a mountain whitetail survives and a midwestern whitetail for the most part, seems to, you know, kind of be spoiled, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's food everywhere.
1: Right, exactly. So they're survivors, they're smaller bodied. um, Genetics are what make them big, not food. And that's like the biggest kicker, I think. Midwest, I mean, it's kind of that way everywhere, but you can take a deer with mediocre genetics and give him good nutrition and he's still going to grow yeah but out here if they don't have genetics it's not going to be in the cards for that deer because they're not getting that food with the exception of like a few food plots here and there and some state gpa stuff but there's not there's not any like big crop um yeah anywhere nearby so it's a whole different world i mean they just they survive and they probably weigh like a big mature whitetail buck probably weighs like 140 pounds on a good day that's so crazy. Uh, and then you get east of here, and then you get big deer, like big body deer again when they start to get more food. And you got winter wheat right. and corn, and you name it, sunflowers, yeah. thing around. I and even
0: think it, though, too, just from like sharing trail cam photos with you guys, I've been pretty impressed with the some of the genetics and the size of whitetails that can grow in that area. It, it to from my perspective, I don't know, if you might not see it the same way I look at it, but. I see a lot of similar characteristics in the genetic, the genetics of, like, deer I see you guys shoot and some of your buddies shoot. Like, they all have a similar look, but, mm-hmm. like, some of them will really surprise you. I know, like, Jeremy killed that buck with really great brows a couple of years ago, and you guys yeah. are always in, like, really great-looking deer. Um, so, I don't want anyone to just listen to what you said and be like, oh, they're all dinks because they're not. No, they're not exactly.
1: Yeah, they're – I mean, some of them are – like, I think the biggest set of sheds that we've ever found in the hills is like 170 inch uh, whitetail. So they still exist out here. I mean, I know a friend of mine shot one that was knocking on 170 this year. Mm-hmm. They're out here. I mean, you just see a lot of crap genetics in between. But mm-hmm. if you can get that age class, they do, a lot of them do have the genetics and they start to get some trash it just seems like a lot of them have either big brows or split tie or they you name it and yeah they're just a really cool like unique species probably my favorite thing to hunt out of anything um, really that surprises than, me i mean elk is definitely number one i guess but a uh, second like in the deer world i just love hunting the mountain whitetail i just think they're so cool and they're unique and they're impossible to figure out
0: you like them more more than a mule deer
1: i do i do really I uh, I don't know. It's just th- growing up with them, living in my backyard. Basically, it's just different, and mm-hmm. I I love it all naturally. And some years I'm like I want to shoot a mule deer this year, but I I feel like a mountain whitetail is just hard to hard to top because it's just a whole different world. You know, if a guy like if you came out here uh, white tail hunting sometime, and we'll have to do that by the way. I would but, love that actually. It's just, I think you'd understand and you'd appreciate um, the challenge one and just, like, the difference in style of hunting. I mean, really, you just have to hunt, like, that mid-November timeline if you want it to be most effective and get loud rattle. They're really responsive because it's thicker. Mm -hmm. So there's days you can rattle in 10, 11 bucks. I mean, it's it happens all the time, and it's just different when you go, like, when I've been in Kansas hunting, it seems like they just aren't as responsive. You still rattle them in, but, you know, when they, they can see a little better, they're a little more spread out. It's different when they live in this mountainous terrain and they're kind of fighting to breed and trying to find right. those. They're yeah, I think like, that
0: would be just an absolute blast. Like take a mobile tree stand out or a saddle set up and and kind of bounce around the hills and just find like – little pockets where there's some sign in there and just kind of slip in, get in the best tree you can find. I think that for me, it would be fun because it'd be such a, it'd be such a change. It'd be such a difference in terrain and feel. Right. Well, and that's
1: the cool thing out here is a guy could literally do it. Like you could have no scouting nothing done you could throw your tree stand on your pack take off hiking you're gonna find deer trails you're gonna find sign there's deer all over in the hills you know there's no area that doesn't have deer yeah you may not see a giant buck if if a guy's not scouting but you can you can really just hang and hunt anywhere because i mean we've got a million acres of public land right here you know it's it's nuts
0: yeah do the do the um the mule deer and the whitetail do they intermingle at all where you guys are at
1: yeah they do um they don't seem to be overly concerned with one another usually i mean we have a lot of video clips over the years of them hanging out feeding right next to each other no big deal but there is definitely not as many mule deer um in the black hills as there is whitetails it's not it's not even close i i I don't know if it's been partially mismanagement um, or partially trained or what the deal is, but mm-hmm. it just seems like getting an age-class mule deer in the Black Hills is pretty rare. I mean, they do exist. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy shot a nice one this year. Um, they are out there, but they just don't. It seems like more times than not, you see three-year-olds, you see four-year-olds, you see a crappy genetic older buck. They just haven't really had the chance to flourish in the black hills as far as it's interesting know. it is strange but they do manage i mean it's really hard to get a like a rifle tag mm-hmm. as a president if you want to hunt a mule deer with a rifle in the black hills you better uh be patient because it, it can take like six to ten years to draw that tag no kidding and in my opinion it's not worth waiting for um just because there's go somewhere else to
0: do it yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I, gotta, I got to get out there and do a a mule deer hunt with you guys in South Dakota one of these years, and a and a mountain whitetail hunt. But, um, have you used DeerCast much for hunting whitetails specifically in the hills? Yeah,
1: I, I use it all the time. I mean, with twin boys and busy schedules, I mean, you know,
0: <laughs> it's yeah, just know. you
1: gotta you gotta pick your choose your battles, and why not? put that in your advantage and why not like, Hey, I can hunt Tuesday or I can hunt Thursday. And one of them's bad. One of them's good. Why, why would you go with the bad one? You know? So yeah, do use it a lot. I mean, I, I look at it all the time. I even look at, I looked at it the other day when I was like, I had a couple hours before work to decide if I should drive out and scout one of the leases we have just outside of town and it was bad. And I'm like, eh, I'm just going to go to work and get some stuff done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not even, hunting, but it's still just a,
0: it's great for that. But I was just curious how it would, you know, play in because we use it in the Midwest and that terrain is just so different, but, but, you know, the algorithm of what it takes to get deer up and moving is still there. And I'm sure not much changes there. Uh, right. I,
1: I feel like it might be a little harder to predict just with like the weird weather that we have here but it's probably also more important because the deer like have so much cover and they're not really hitting direct food sources. So it's really hard to pattern them. Like they don't really have to go to the same place every time. I mean, they're feeding in like mountain meadows. They're not feeding in food plots. They're not going to hit a cornfield. So there's not a lot of consistency other than water, like early in the, summer so, but water everywhere so it's what's tough. the
0: main tactic then you know you get into late october if you're not on water are you focusing on those open meadows like on the like inner fringes just terrain features what's like the main thing a guy would look for
1: honestly in hunting mountain whitetails i think your best bet is i mean there's betting everywhere so they really can truly bet everywhere but we pick up some consistencies on like, hey, there, there seem to always be bedding in like this Jack Pine Ticket, for example, mm-hmm. and then you set up usually in like that, I'd call it a transition zone. Like if there's a spring valley, like a mountain meadow spring valley down in the bottom, they're bedding high on a ridge, they're probably going to drop off that ridge somewhere. Mm-hmm. So then you try to find like the most major trail or where a few trails come together from where you think a good chunk of them are bedding and try to catch them in between. Um, once yeah. the rut starts, I'm kind of a pure believer in. You can kind of go anywhere. It's kind of the, the nice nice thing about the hills is you it don't sounds
0: like a blast. It.
1: Yeah, you just go and set up and get loud, you know, and you can actually effectively hunt a whitetail in the mountains during November, like during the peak of the rut, from the ground with a bow.
0: That was my next question is like, what percentage of guys are hunting these mountain whitetails from a tree stand, a blind, or just on the ground, like, like you would any Western style hunt.
1: Yeah. I still think the majority of like serious bow hunters are in a tree stand and we usually are too. Um, just cause you have the advantage and the chances of getting caught or getting winded or so much lower when you're up in, in the tree and you can see better, but there's plenty of guys that shoot them from the ground. Um, it's so thick that, you know, if you're getting, if you're rattling in a buck, for example, on a quiet day, you mm-hmm. hear them coming. You can draw plenty early. You can be ready when they pop out. They don't typically surprise you. Mm-hmm. And you got enough cover, you can get away with it. So it it's kind of unique because you don't have to be stuck in a tree stand. It's kind of a fun fun way to hunt for sure. It would but... be
0: fun. It'd be so different because I'm used to like, anytime I'm in Jack Pines hunting, it's from Mule Deer Elk. <laughs> right. Yeah, You know I what just... I mean? So... To be like, oh yeah, I'm hunting whitetails, but you're in western terrain. It would be, right. I, don't, I just think it'd be fun because I was thinking about that. Like in the Midwest, you're not you. Okay, I shouldn't. This is a bold statement, right? Not always true. Most of the times true. You're almost never consistently killing mature deer from the ground. It's just right. too dense. Right. It's it's too hard to get – there's a lot that plays – in. people do do it. I'm not saying that it's impossible. But, like you said, the advantage is in your favor when you're in a tree, especially in the Midwest. But to be able right. to try hunting them in a Western-style tactic would be – I think would be so much fun. Yep, absolutely. And I
1: – the the best luck we've had as far as bow hunting – like big mountain whitetails is hunting scrapes in october because yeah. that's one thing that you can kind of you can kind of pattern those deer you can't pattern them all year long you can try you'll get pictures of a deer like one day and then he'll be back three days later then he'll be gone for two weeks and he'll be back and you'll get a picture of him two miles away on another camera no rhyme or reason he'll be there one time never come back ever again And then he'll pop up on another camera a mile away. So it's almost impossible to pattern them Mm -hmm. until you get the scrapes because those bucks will return to the same scrape over and over and over. And it seems they really, there's a, there's a high population of bucks, even if they're little bucks. So there's so many deer using those scrapes. I mean, if a guy throws a mock scrape out there late September into the first part of October, they'll hit it. I've seen them hit those scrapes all the way through December even like during the rut, I mean, that's kind of our number one tactic. We have a few that yeah. we found over the years that you put a camera on it and they, they hit it pretty much all fall. It's just a different yeah. way for them to socialize, I suppose, with the other yeah. deer because they can't Especially see. such
0: a big country big. too, you know.
1: Right, see what's around. Oh, another buck hit my scrape. It might be September 1st, you know. They're in velvet still and they're still checking those scrapes. It's strange, but yeah. it's one yeah. way you can kind of steer them in front of you and for sure it's well i think you brought
0: that up because i had bucks it's you know we were we're recording this i don't even know what day it is man merry christmas everybody by the way (laughs) um i don't even know what day it is it's just before christmas but i had bucks hitting scrapes last night here in illinois but i feel like scrapes is something this i you know i always paid attention to them but on a new piece that i got it's like that's what mattered the most for this spot and that's when you know our buddy lee we call him the cult scrapes he puts the rope scrapes out i swear that made a huge difference because i was like come on i want to try those bring them on out let's let's do the setup and i feel like that made a huge huge difference in my hunting this year for that one piece so yeah,
1: I, i'm a big big time believer if like october is one of the most magical times to kill a big white tail buck on a scrape and I still like hunting November the best just because you never know what the heck's going to happen and they're going crazy, but yeah. October is a little more controlled. You know, you can settle it in you can pinpoint a deer in November. Everything's kind of out the window and it's just get lucky and have a buck come in, whether you're rattling, grunting, or just in the right spot. Yep. is Those big bucks just travel so much that it's, it's almost impossible to pinpoint them in November. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. If you're trying to kill a specific deer, I think October is the magic anywhere, really.
0: So it is, it is. And Chandler and I just talked about that. Right now, it's kind of the craze. Like November has always been. Well, you know the jury saying is sweet November, and yep. or, is, or uh, November has always been. Everybody loves November. Most deer movement, best bang for your buck. If you're gonna take, if like literally, if you're gonna take time off work you're going to have a decent chance if you can block off five days of straight hunting. Now, if it's the buck you want to see specifically from your trail cams, I don't know. You could just get a random one, but people are starting to hate on November a little bit because people, I think with the uprise and the popularity of trail cams are trying to pattern a buck they've seen all summer. And October is probably the best time to do it. But, but man, I just love November too, at the same time. I I I can't give it up
1: you can't go wrong and I'm actually starting to become a big time late season believer I just never seem to have my tag in December so because
0: you fill it or what <laughs>
1: I always shoot one too early like this year I shot one and when was that October with my kids along yeah yeah I just haven't had a bow tag in December for quite a quite a while but I'm starting to like when we were out hunting this year with Jeremy and like taking my wife out and the amount of deer movement i've seen and with the deep snow this year out here they're just so much easier to pattern right now yeah because when you start getting when you start talking two three feet of snow they use the same trail every single day because i was gonna
0: ask if they come if they come down from the hills with the snow or they stay living where they've been living they
1: do. They try to seek lower country, but they will brave it out, and they'll hit like a. They'll start finding areas. Usually, it's wind swept, so you'll get three foot of snow on one side, and there'll be a spot that melts within a few days. You know, so they can survive in that area. But it kind of just depends on uh, more or less if if you're uh, trying to hunt. Sorry,
0: I got a phone right. call threw me off uh, <laughs> i'm like dude, blacking out on me or what
1: no it popped up on my on my screen here but the uh <clears throat> those deer will use those same trails in the snow over and over like when it's deep snow because they don't want to truck through three foot of snow and it starts to crust over mm-hmm. they still have a place that they have found that they can get food and it just makes it a lot easier for them to i guess mingle through that deep snow well it's the perfect yeah. time at the bow hunter to pinpoint them because now they're using like two or three main trails and you can't miss them because they're three foot yeah. crevices in the snow you know but yeah they also shed really early i mean there's already lots of deer that have dropped antlers out here this year really it's, it's just a trend like in the hills it seems like every year i get pictures early december even of bucks that are dropping Wow! Not all of them, but a lot of them do drop, and you shoot one this time of year, you're probably going to be holding the sheds by the time you get them recovered. So,
0: Oh, no kidding.
1: It's, do you uh, think it's
0: just because of the cold and just the conditions they're in, their body just goes more into survival mode rather than, like, I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but to no, me. No, I do.
1: I do think it probably has something to do with the added stress. Um, although oh, yeah. even some of the years we've had fairly mild winters, I've seen them drop early. So that's the only thing that's kind of thrown me off that theory. But I'm still like somewhat believer, and everybody has a different opinion that the gestational age of that animal is the biggest driver, like when it was born. Yeah. If a deer was born, you know, three months earlier, or not three months, like a month earlier than another deer he grew his antlers a month earlier more than likely than that deer the right. following year and the following year and so on and so forth. So the, I'm kind of a believer that the early fawns are the ones that drop early and the late fawns are the ones that hold on late to some level. And there's influences, I'm sure, you know, from yeah, stress. And I know that does have a factor because you'll, you know, if one gets hit and survives or something, a lot of times they'll drop early. So stress definitely has something to do with it but yeah i've always kind of been a believer and i i guess i've never i was going to ask mark um sometime his thoughts on that he's probably talked about it before but i've never caught it
0: yeah yeah, it would be interesting to see what he would have to say to me it makes sense but i don't know what the hell i'm talking about
1: right and that's (laughs) me too i just it's just my opinion you know and it seems to make sense but i can't really prove it because i don't have one like with an ear tag in it to know when it was born It'd be cool to know all
0: that. And, and you know, I, I'm trying to think the earliest. So I don't normally shed hunt here, um, but I have. I mean, I've had deer shed in December before. Um, it's rare. But the earliest I've ever found a shed a few years ago, I went right after ATA show, which is always like the second week of January. I went right after ATA because I had time and I found a shed with blood on his bases and his G2 already chewed off and and our bow season still open um at that yep. point um ju- it's a few days from closing from when i found that shed but i always remember that because i found the blood on the base freshly shed like a couple days and the g2 had already been chewed off by a squirrel so it's like the freshest shed you could find without watching it fall off its head and a yep. like, fox squirrel had already chewed through I, it just and it was a good shed too freaking squirrels anyhow yeah. So it's like, what? All right. Cut me some slack, you know? But I know. I don't know. It's... It is, I'm not even ready to think about shed season until you said that. And I only got to go one weekend last year because we did so many trade shows. Well, we're doing a couple less this year. So I'm going to try and get at least two weekends and minimum.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to just like keep tabs on a couple of the bigger ones because I know that they could drop any day with this weather we've got out here. And it's supposed to be 50 below zero um tomorrow night with the wind chill and unfortunately it's probably gonna kill a bunch of deer too because we just got anywhere from two to six feet of snow in the high hills and
0: that how much you guys got oh my gosh
1: up north we didn't get much here in rapid city but in the hills this there's anywhere from nothing down the southern hills all the way up to basically lead deadwood area got six feet of snow
0: yeah i nothing How do they do it? Do the elk live up that high? Do the elk come down? Like what, what happens?
1: That'll shove them down. I mean, if you go south, of there, probably 10 miles. There's maybe two feet of snow. So I would guess that most of the critters up in that country have shoved south or even west into Wyoming. Um, It's not that far for them to hit the flats in Wyoming either. And there's probably a lot of them probably actually venture out of the hills when it gets that bad and get out on the, on the flats, like the plains of Wyoming, you know, somebody yeah. has an irrigated pivot somewhere, or alfalfa field of some sort, I'm sure that loads up, but yeah, they somehow seem to do it every year. This was probably the biggest snowstorm we've had though in like 10 years. So that followed by this cold temperatures is just gonna be tough on them for
0: sure. It's gonna be brutal. It's amazing what deer, elk, all, just animals in general go through, but it's like the variance of conditions that a whitetail like lives through is so crazy when you break it down and and we've had oh i don't know what it was four years ago now maybe give or take a year we had freezing rain for like three days and then our temps dropped like crazy like that and we had a lot of deer guys were shed hunting or just looking for deer they were finding deer frozen hole that got so wet from the rain and then i remember that down and then freeze it. Yeah, I remember, well, I don't know when it was, February-ish. Maybe I'm off on that. But I just remember guys finding whole entire deer bedded up, whole, frozen.
1: Yeah, and it looked like some of them like looked like they were alive. Yeah. Like they were frozen in like an alive position. So, like, if you walked up on them, you would have, like, been startled thinking they were about to jump up, you know, and then come find out they're just basically petrified and ice. It's insane.
0: Yep. It's sad. It's really it's sad. It's
1: terrible, yeah. And I'm afraid that we're going to have a bad, bad winter out here. But
0: Can you supplemental feed where you're at in South Dakota? Can you do supplemental feed?
1: Yeah, there's like you can't. So right now, if you were supplemental feeding, like there, you can't hunt that property, period. The season's still open. So there's no law that actually prevents feeding in South Dakota. But if you're feeding, you cannot hunt anywhere near there. So it's kind of a two-edged sword and not a lot of guys do it because the baiting regulations and the it's illegal to bait them in South Dakota but mm. after the season usually like come January there's quite a few guys that run feeders and stuff but like this year they could use it right now um and most guys hunting. aren't because they're still hunting you know and they yeah, yeah they can't hunt then well it's just kind of a it's, it's a hard one to depict because the regulation is somewhat poorly written so i I think people think they can't supplemental feed Mm -hmm. but the way it's actually written in south dakota you could supplemental feed all year long as long as you're not hunting that makes sense and you can't have a camera on the supplemental feed either for viewing so basically it's just put it out there let them eat it leave them alone you know
0: yeah yeah but when the conditions are the way they are it's like i get that don't be right. in there messing with them. If you want to get, if you want to help them survive, that's why you're so, like, I just think when it's that cold, because in Illinois, you can't do any supplemental feeding at all. Iowa, you can in the off season. And I, I, and I don't know how I feel about it, but when it gets that cold, I'm like, Oh, let, let us help these animals. Yo, yep. You know? So here's the thing in Illinois, you go to any store, you can buy supplemental feed, the mineral, right. all this stuff. Right. It's for sale everywhere. Yep. And I bet you, I who's I, I think I was talking to my buddy Lee. Everybody knows Lee now. We were having this conversation about supplemental feed. And he said, because he's got some other buddies that live in Illinois. And he goes, hey, I'm just curious. He goes, I know you guys don't supplemental feed. He goes, but if you had to put an estimate of resident hunters in Illinois, how many of them do you think are using supplemental feed? Not necessarily to like bait to hunt over, but even in the off season use supplemental Mm. feed. And my guess is what would you guess? And I don't know. I have this statistic. I
1: guess. I don't know. I, and I don't blame them. I mean, it's good for the wildlife. If they're not hunting over it and you know, they're not, it's a, I think we all agree that it's a dumb regulation. So it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, but I bet it's gotta be, I mean, they sell it there. It'd be interesting to see what percentage of their stock at the store they sell.
0: <laughs> that's how we would really know, you know. If we
1: know it'd be like, okay, so they sold thirty percent of their stock. Yeah, probably yeah. about thirty percent of bow hunters, you know, or
0: hunters in general. I'd like to think that's what it is. My guess was was sixty percent. I believe it. Yeah. But I but I I have no idea. There's no way of actually knowing. No one's ever going to admit it because it is illegal. But I know a lot of people that don't know it's illegal. Because they sell it there. They think if they sell it, it's legal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And
1: that's kind of how South Dakota is too, because baiting is illegal and you can only use it for certain periods of the year, but they also sell it everywhere you go. (laughs) Right. It's always like Every Walmart, every farm store. Yeah. You walk into a store that you were at like three days prior and you look at the same shelf and you're like, huh, all those bags that were there are gone. Yeah. I don't think they're buying deer feed to feed their horses.
0: (laughs) <laughs> oh, dude! I love some of our farm stores have deer corn on the bag. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh yeah, deer corn, nice. I don't know that—that's something I would like to see Illinois change. At least in the off season, I don't think you should be able to bait. You know, I don't agree. Yeah. With that. Yep, yep. But, but you know, also too, where it's legal, and if somebody wants to do that, I you can't. I can't say nothing to them about that. You know, exactly. It might I, not be the way I do it, but I've, I, I kill the baited bear. People right. hunt bears every year over bait. It's a sticky topic.
1: Right. Well, in Kansas, it's legal, and I've hunted Kansas with and without baiting, and I still haven't killed a big buck, so it's not a gimme, you know, it's not. (laughs) I think the problem with baiting really is like they, as soon as it's legal, everybody baits, and now they have 50 different little bait piles to go choose from. What's going to put them on yours, you know, and what's not going to turn them nocturnal because now they can eat whenever they want, so
0: yeah. Yeah, I've never been
1: a fever that is super effective other than maybe like early season, you know, you catch them off guard, but you really got still gotta put your time in at your bait station, you know, to yeah. get the buck you're after. It's it's kind of one of those things. I'm all about feeding them, not necessarily hunting over bait, but
0: it's I'm more like feeding them it. for necessary survival and nutrition when they have to almost Rely on it, right? Right. Or just make it easier and, for them. But you know, your, I, the your guys' white go through a lot more than ours would. I mean, most of the time because of right. elevation and the the snow and all that.
1: Right. But. Yeah. And they don't have the. I mean, they do still get mega fat reserves, even though they're smaller bodied. Like they'll still put on a ton of fat reserve. But you got to think compared to like a midwestern whitetail that weighs three hundred pounds that 150 pound deer like even with the good fat reserve has to struggle more you know it's just the way yeah. it is
0: yeah i guess the one benefit is that you guys have more pines and more like evergreen style trees and that provides you know if you're lucky you got a good like cedar thicket or something like that here but they're not as common
1: right right and they they I've, one thing I've noticed too, is like in the, I guess not so much now, but even in the winter, I've seen them do it, which is the craziest thing ever. They'll eat the Aspen leaves off the ground. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.
0: Off the ground
1: off the ground like they've fallen and you'll see them like if if you get an aspen stand that's not buried in snow i've caught i've seen deer and they're they're digging up and they have aspen leaves in their mouth well elk eat them oh, all wow. the time right off of the trees uh-huh like, Got, i've seen it hundreds of times in september when they're still green you know elks ripping them off the trees and eating them but i'd never before seen a deer chewing on a dead leaf you know yeah well, they do whatever they can to survive i think is what it comes down to and they know that those aspen stands have some nutrients there and they can find them they don't have to dig as hard because there's leaves everywhere so yeah i suppose it's like a last resort for survival but it's crazy i I had no idea until here about a year ago that's interesting because i
0: i just saw something i don't know if it was in deer and deer hunting on online on instagram or something like that that um it was like a, a a viewer submitted question or something like that, and it was talking about eating leaves off the ground that are already on the ground, and I, I'm very vague in here. I don't remember the detail, but mulberry trees, they said they'll eat the leaves off mulberry trees off the ground. That's like mm-hmm. one of the few leaves that they will, so that's interesting that you brought that up.
1: Yeah, and, and maybe it's coincidence, because I've now documented it twice, I think, but... Yeah. It makes sense. And like the amount of elk and deer, I'm sure, too, that eat them when they're green, like they remember that, I suppose. And they're like, hey, if I need food, I know there's leaves here on the ground at least. And I don't know how much nutrients they really have in them, but maybe enough to scrape through a week or so until they can get some snowmelt and find something better.
0: A funny thing about aspens. And because when I first started hunting out West, I remember, hunt, um, you know, when I hunted with Jeremy and Austin, the first time in Colorado, I always hear guys say, uh, oh yeah, over in the Quakies, over in the Quakies," mm-hmm. And I spend more and more time of year in Wyoming. And I finally talked, I turned to Trey. I'm like, all right. Cause you know, if your glasses a spot, it's like, oh yeah, over there in the Quakies," And then somebody else would be like, oh yeah, he's in the Aspens over there. or Oh, he's in the pines or the Jack pines. So I had to be like, what's a Jack pine? You know what right? I mean? Like, I, I don't know what I'm looking at because I don't know what a jackpine is. Well, the Quake, they kept saying Quakeys. I'm like, all right, what are Quakeys? And, and I didn't know this, but he's like, Quaking Aspens. Yep. So I didn't know. I was like, oh, I didn't know it was the same thing.
1: It's kind of like the the four point and eight point d- discussion <laughs> or four by four. It's like some people call them Quakeys. That's just how they grew up hunting, and some call uh, them Aspens. And it's. Yeah it's kind of the same deal you know you just but most people don't know
0: that you know i didn't know that and i'm like oh well, i like quakey's better now because it's easier to say and it's more fun
1: yeah exactly but, i dig it i dig it so, so are all are they
0: is it what's the full name for them is it quaken
1: uh i think no. it's now you stump me i think so yeah i think it's Quaken aspen but there's like birch trees too that pretty much look like an aspen tree yeah so a lot of there is quite a few birch trees out here too but i just call them all aspens because that's what they look like kind of yeah they're like you know the
0: famous saying you can tell it's an aspen because of the way it is
1: yeah exactly (laughs) that's all you need to know really
0: that's it (laughs) but i'll just call them i'll call all everything that looks like that tree from now on i'm just going to call it a quakey because you feel you feel like a Westie when you do that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's the they're kind of the coolest tree ever, though, because like you, with all the elk hunting we do in September, they have like the best canopy in the world. Like you yeah. walk into an aspen stand and you're in the shade. It's cool all day long. Yeah. And then come winter, they suck. Like there's yeah. no canopy. And they just – usually they're on north-facing slopes, so they get buried in snow. And usually there's, like, no sign of life anywhere near them, you know? Yeah. Other than what I was mentioning with the deer. Maybe, maybe not. Eating those to survive. Not sure, but <laughs>
0: – Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I mean, uh, that's – it's an interesting point. And look at that. We got some we, – we just educated everyone on just guesses on a tree. So don't hold us to any of that information. <laughs> no,
1: no. Yeah, don't hold us. This is I, not – not out of a textbook. I just thought it
0: was funny. Quakey. you know, I'm like, what are quakeys, you know, hunting with them guys? Cause you know, imagine glassing across a Canyon, you know, and you see a deer and you're trying to explain to your buddy where the deer is.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly.
0: He's in those quakeys up on the left side by that rock slide over there. It's like, which rock slide? What are we looking at?
1: Yeah. Everything looks the same. Yeah. We do. It all the time. It's hard to, you're like, just right at the big tree. Left of the aspens or left of the quakies.
0: See the and dead like, stump which there? Quakies, which big tree? Well, here's what I started doing. If you're sitting with your buddy, take a picture of the hillside, then take point. a piece of grass and point at your screen. He's right there. Yep. That's the hack. That's genius. I don't know. If I didn't invent that, I don't think. it's just what we started doing from getting frustrated and like almost kind of like yelling at each other over it and where the deer is or elk or whatever you're looking for. Yep. So it's right there, how do you not see it? And then you, yeah,
1: <laughs> I'll give you credit for it. I think you embedded it.
0: Definitely didn't, but I'll take your credit at this moment in time <laughs> right now. <laughs> I dude. I think I just like this type of conversation, you know, just breaking down for me. It's a, it's fun. Cause it's a different terrain, you know, but I think chasing a mountain whitetail out in your guys's area is especially now more so than ever, but it's always been on my radar but something I think I need to do an experience to kind of add to like my whitetail, um, knowledge bucket, I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I think it, you, you gotta try it. It's just different, you know, and it's, it's rewarding. Like to me shooting like 140 inch black Hills, like mountain whitetail is if I was like drawn an equivalent, to like a Midwest whitetail, I would put that at like a 160 inch whitetail.
0: Yeah, I can see that.
1: I've hunted eastern South Dakota, Kansas a few times. Uh, I've been to southern Iowa. Like, I've I've hunted those places, and just based on like what you see in the age class, like the same age deer is typically probably 20 inches smaller. Yeah, you know, even with good genetics, and they get the character, and they get the dark chocolate racks. And that's the thing I kind of like the most, honestly, is like the dark brown chocolate racks. Yep. That's, that's my jam. So,
0: do you have a mountain whitetail rack right by you that you could pull up?
1: I got quite a few of them. Here, hold on.
0: <laughs> it's like, yeah, let me grab one out of the pile. A couple of mule deer in the background. There's an elk, a mountain lion. This is that
1: big 170 inch set that I was talking about earlier, but yeah. Just a tower.
0: Awesome brow. And this one's
1: not quite as dark because I found him a little later, but this deer sat about ten inches tall. He was just like that. But the character that a lot of them get
0: it's yeah. crazy.
1: There's most a lot of darker horn than this, but he probably was. It just there's a good
0: brow time genetic in that area. It seems like a lot most of the deer whitetails I see from you guys have good brows.
1: Yeah, there's It's like they either are tall and tight with big brows, it seems like, or they're uh, the opposite. You know, they're wide and they have crappy brows, but they'll get a big frame. Rarely do you see like the big frame deer have the big brows. It's weird. Interesting. It's like a basket rack buck that just turns into a giant, you know? Right.
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) That's that's cool, man. It's different. You know, that's what's neat, too. It's like when you look up on your wall, if you get one of them mountain whitetails like that, it's like, check that one out. Like, that's why I'm excited to go hunt coos deer. It's like a desert right. mountain whitetail, kind of. Um, right. We kind of need to see, like, that. it would be cool to get, like, a whitetail slam. You know, like, you got your Midwestern, you got your mountain whitetail, you got your South, you know, Sonora Desert coos deer White. On my
1: radar, 100%. Yeah.
0: A Texas yep. whitetail has its own vibe to it, you know. Like a southern, like a southern state, I don't know, Georgia or Alabama buck or something like that, or Louisiana buck would be kind of neat to have, also kind of cool to have. I
1: I think it'd be a really cool, like, wall to have one from all these different states and these different basically subspecies, and they may not consider them a subspecies. But in my opinion, they really should. But it's so hard to like. Where do you draw the line? Because you get east of here, and you get these plains deer that are giant-bodied, just like a eastern uh, or like a midwestern deer. You know, so it's yeah. where do you draw the line? And they they go back and forth, and they crossbreed, and it's not like they're a different species. They just live in different climates that affect their body weights and stuff. I sure. think is more more than anything.
0: Yeah, I. I would consider them a subspecies to a point, but yeah, it gets blurry there when you're trying to draw hard lines. But, but I think the coolest thing too, is like look back and be able to like see the adventures you had been on. Like I went to Mexico there. I shot that one in South Dakota. That one's from Illinois. That one's yeah. from Louisiana. And you know what I mean? Like just because of yeah. need to look back and have all that just kind of like piled into one room, kind of like what you got going on. I mean, you got quite the collection of just variants and, different sports, you know
1: right yeah and i i I agree i think that just like it says a lot about a white-tailed deer and like how prolific they are and just seeing like the different climates and how it affects their appearance even you know and yeah like you get darker capes in parts of the country you get just different styles of yeah it's interesting to see and like well for example here i'll spin this around just to show you but like this is a black hills whitetail right there
0: yeah that thing dude that's that's what i think when i think black hills whitetail from talking to you guys like it's just beautiful
1: right and then that's a prairie whitetail and you can i don't know if you can tell in the video but like just look at the neck size difference and i mean both of them are on the biggest forms they could possibly use yeah you can tell it's just a different size deer basically is what it comes down to you know
0: yeah when are we going to get a full-blown buck storm like i want you guys in austin included to run through your taxidermy collection and like tell a little tidbit on each one because you guys have really just tipped them over the last <laughs> few years especially so i'd like to get I'd yeah like we'll to have you do that how you guys are fitting it all in your house
1: <laughs> right well Um, My basement is pretty much just, that's what it's for. So the kids don't play down here very often. I mean, they can, but they usually end up bringing up like a couple deer antlers. You know, they'll, yeah, look where I found I'm Like, yeah, buddy. Uh, So we got a buck pile in their room now. Yeah. Um, We've got a bunch of them up there, but yeah, it's, I need a higher ceiling essentially. But what are you
0: going to do if your, your basement's pretty much tapped out for room? I mean, what? You start putting them upstairs.
1: Yeah, you just wait till mama's working, you know, and hang them in the living room. It's,
0: that's right. But she's killing really deer well. too, you know, and same thing with Austin's wife. She's killing deer. So it's right. like I want to know what their house looks like. I mean, yeah, they, they, they got a lot
1: of collection too. And he's got a partially unfinished basement, so it's just perfect because there's studs everywhere and he has them all over. But he kind of stopped mounting stuff because he's they're just harder to move around and he's got a ton of euros of giant deer that should be mounted naturally but yeah i've kind of become partial to european mounts as well and just being able to hold it and look at it and it's just there's something different about that you know and just being able to pick it up and even on a great big buck
0: you can enjoy it differently
1: i had to mount my mule deer from a couple years ago i should be getting that back here soon and uh that might be the last one I mount for a while, unless something crazy happens. But
0: yeah, see, I, sh- I shot my elk. I think I shot a good elk, but I Europe, I did a European mount on them, and I have yep. the cape, and I don't know if I'm going to keep the cape or just sell the cape to somebody that needs it. But I-, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's the studio has saved my house because two years ago, pretty much right when we got the studio, so my dad passed away, right, and I inherited all of his taxidermy and then i've killed a pile of stuff since that and i literally would have no room in my house my house is full i'm not empty in my house to bring it all to the studio because i want to still have all my stuff in my house you know yep. um, so i'm at that point like what's am i gonna keep mounting all these animals or do it i don't know i'm in that weird crossroads but
1: well, and the nice thing is with i did the same thing with my elk back here my ceiling's not high enough to mount one without it like touching the floor pretty much and looking weird so i'm just like the cape is prepped and ready to be mounted and my buddy has it and i'm just like someday i might mount it i mean it'll it'll keep forever i mean it's it's ready to be mounted so yeah uh it's an option at least you know and i eventually we'll have a different house or something, you know, and maybe we've been trying to find a shop space or something to set up our Buckstorm office. But for now, I'm just going to
0: ask that is there going to be an office in the works? It's
1: it's in the works. It's just not number one priority. I mean, it's crazy what stuff's bring in the mar- housing market out here in real estate market in general, just nuts. So it's, it's tough to justify, especially yeah. when we're gone out of town the majority of the time it be more of a place for a trophy room editing and so on and so forth. But yeah, the right Anything. thing arises, it's coming down the line for sure.
0: We'll set you up here in new Windsor, man. We just, we're, we're in the working on doubling our square footage. So for taxidermy, really,
1: maybe I'll get a job at the airport or something so I can fly for free. There you go. Fly back and
0: forth commute. Just fly home on the weekends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There you go. Well, dude, I appreciate your time. I know you had the day off and I caught you at a perfect timing, but I just had a request the other day to get some of the Buckstorm boys back on. So this worked out great.
1: Yeah, man. I'm talking to you like always. And we'll see a couple months
0: at the Iowa show. Iowa Deer Classic. If anyone's going to be out there, come hang out. Are we closer together?
1: Yeah, they've moved us over by you this year. So
0: perfect. So you get one stop shop, the Iowa Classic. Just come hang out with the boys. We'll have A cold yep. beer waiting for you guys. Yeah. Uh, cool, man. Well, I appreciate it. Plug anything you need to plug for right now, and then uh, yeah, come out and see us at the Iowa Deer Classic together. Hang out with the Buckstorm crew and the WCB crew. Yeah,
1: yeah. I got I'm, I'm not much of a plugger, but just check us out on YouTube. Uh, we post a video every week. Lately, we've been running them on Thursday nights, which will probably continue for a while. We just got done with our elk series uh transitioned into a deer hunt we got an antelope c- hunt coming out this week and a little bit of archery mule deer stuff and then a uh, big one will probably be out next week is our uh, bighorn sheep hunt from this year that'll be a cool one and awesome. then uh transition into all of our deer hunts from this year so i have a lot of work to do behind <laughs> this computer uh right <laughs> which is probably what i'm going to do the rest of the day honestly after i get a couple other things taken care of
0: so awesome man well, I yeah. love it. You guys are killing it. I appreciate the conversation. I learned some stuff, and uh, I think we're going to we had to plan our next WCB Buckstorm Hunt Camp. It's been a few years, so we got to get that yeah. going again. I think we
1: just need to make it happen this year. Just, just do it. For, so
0: currently, I don't have any Western hunts planned for next fall. So if we want to set something up,
1: let's do it. No, now you do. We're just going to call it a Western hunt. We're kind of on the edge of the West. You know, I'd call it more West where we're at than I would Midwest.
0: Here's the thing if I go into Iowa, I'm going West. You know what I mean?
1: Yep. We need to come (laughs) up with a name for the spot in between the Midwest and the West right there.
0: It's the, you guys are, you guys are all trannies. (laughs) (laughs) Can we do
1: transition zone? Yes. You guys
0: are all trans. uh, (laughs) You guys are trannies. That's what you are. (laughs) <laughs> there in the transition we'll take period
1: whatever works whatever works <laughs> maybe that'll keep some people away you know it is what it is
0: a bunch of trainees in there that's all the transition all right we got to get off this podcast for i really just get canceled even more than i already am <laughs> thanks bro. all right man hey have a good christmas uh, this will launch right after christmas but everybody out there merry christmas happy new year be safe good luck if you have a tag left um good luck if you're going out shed hunting or doing scouting um that's really it Uh, You know what to do. Stay calculated. Go shoot a giant. We love you guys. Peace. One of
1: the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting. Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.